Welcome to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast. We are always ready, always there. This podcast series is a production of the State Public Affairs Office. Hello, I'm Tech Sergeant Charles Johnston, your host with Public Affairs, and I'm joined today by Sergeant First Class Rick Frost with the New Hampshire National Guard Counter Drug Program. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Sergeant Frost. Thanks for having me. Sergeant Frost, tell us about your military background. So I came into the military uh, as an Air Force uh, a structural maintenance engineer. Um, basically, that evolved into me working on uh, Army aircraft, helicopters, moved down the flight line to an Army National Guard unit as I transferred out of the Army Air Force Reserve, uh, moved up to New Hampshire, took a position in field artillery, um, had my own photography business, loved doing photography and video, found out about the public affairs position and took a job with public affairs, um, did my deployment to um, Iraq and as soon as I came back from that, found out about this position within the counter-drug program, and uh, I've been doing that ever since. And you're the NCO in charge of one of our public affairs detachments. That's correct. The 603rd Public Affairs Debt is uh, is the unit that I've been uh, serving with for a short period of time now, but plan on keeping it for some time, hopefully. So you wear two very different hats. Very different hats, but they do supplement each other very nicely because in the type of work that I do in counter-drug, um, public affairs and messaging is a vital component to that work. Can you tell us a little bit about the counter-drug mission? Absolutely. So under the Secretary of Defense's um, mission regarding counter-drug, counter-narco-terrorism, there is an important aspect where the National Guard plays a role state-to-state in those uh, counter-narco-terrorism efforts. Um, the counter-drug programs that exist from state-to-state, our role is to help impact that mission uh, in our own unique way. Yeah, so basically our program has two different um, uh, divisions, if you will. Uh, we follow a supply and demand. We, part, we, we follow the market economy approach, right, but to um, counter narco-terrorism um, in that there's a supply reduction effort that we have and there's a demand reduction effort that we have. Um, I focus specifically on the demand reduction side of things. Uh, We have a contingent of people that uh, work with law enforcement and other, uh, you know, law enforcement supporting agencies that work on the supply reduction side of things. So from the demand reduction side, that's that's quite a bit different. Um, We don't, while we partner with law enforcement on occasion, um, the main difference is that we focus on prevention. So what we're trying to do is impact uh, problem before it exists, before it even becomes a problem. So we're trying to impact drug use before uh, people even begin. So what we call is uh, what we call that is a primary prevention. And you're working in a lot of the schools to accomplish this directly. Um, yes and no. Uh, the schools are just one aspect of the group of people we would work with at a community. So the most important. Um, attribute to a group that we work with in a community is that it has multiple sectors of the community. Uh, The school would just be one of those sectors. Um, We try to involve everybody that has a stake in drug prevention in those communities. Uh, We call it a coalition. So we have the business sector, we seek out the media sector, we seek out parents, uh, youth representation, uh, faith-based, law enforcement, of course, and other public health organizations within those communities. So we call it a multi-sector approach to prevention. 
to coalition building specifically. Can you describe some of the programs you've helped implement? Absolutely, yeah. So what we do is we work, you know, at kind of three different levels. We try to work at a level where we're providing strategic planning support, which isn't as interesting to some people, but it's a necessary um, component to any good set of plans. Uh, So just like any good military operation, you don't just go out on the street and do things, right? You have to plan for it. You have to plan for contingencies. So what we do is we share that expertise with our coalitions. We explain to them how to strategically plan their efforts. Uh, We call that the 30,000 foot. I call it the 30,000 foot um, set of the plans. Then uh, we try to get them down to 15,000 feet where they're focusing on much more specific parts of their plans to involve the right people at those levels. Then ideally we get them down to ground level where they're actually doing activities and services in the community specifically. And that's that ground level approach. So we call that landing the plane essentially. So that's the important difference between how we do things and how some other folks do things. We like to think that we're experts at planning 30,000 feet, but getting that plane onto the runway eventually and doing the work. How do you measure the program's success? Um, it's, it's less difficult to measure, more difficult to explain how those measures are actually impacting the problem. So to communicate that information to other key stakeholders, whether it's uh, folks you know coming, coming at the work from a philanthropic standpoint where we might have potential funders, uh, if we're writing a grant, is getting people that fund those grants to understand um, you know, the impact of our work. Uh, doing the evaluation is easy. Quite frankly, it's getting people to understand the impact of the evaluation. That's the hard part because not everybody understands prevention. It's difficult to show sometimes the correlation between what we're doing and the impact that it's having because so many things potentially impact potential drug use. And so what we have to do is show not a direct impact of what we do to drug prevention, but that it can play a small role in drug prevention. And that's all that we can do is create a comprehensive list of strategies and uh, basically prove that those types of strategies do have an impact on drug prevention. So, Some of these strategies, if I'm not mistaken, they focus on giving young people things to do during uh, at-risk hours, like those hours immediately after school and before parents come home from work. Can you speak to that? Sure, yeah. The 3 to 6 p.m., we call that the golden hours. So those are the hours. That is what we call a risk factor. Um, That's, well, a contributing factor anyways. That is just one of many potential things that can influence um, a young person when it comes to potential drug use. So one important approach is to try to help communities occupy their youth during that period of time. So after-school programming obviously is a very important part. Uh, The type of after-school programming Uh, Quite frankly, it depends on the community. That's why it's so important to work um, at the grassroots level because every community is going to be a little bit different. Um, I know one community that I worked in where uh, you would have great success giving every kid access to a snowmobile and putting them out on the snowmobile trail. You would have much more success in another community improving um, athletic access. Um, Others are more focused on music and the arts. It's all, every community is different. What's important is that you talk to the youth, you do focus groups, you do, you do your due diligence talking to your target audience, and then figure out what is it that they want to be doing. But again, the important thing is, is that just, that's just one small part of the plan. 
Yeah, like I said, it depends on the community. It depends on the kids in that community, what they want to see more of. And sometimes this, you may be focused on having 10 or 15 or 20 different activities, you know, whatever you can facilitate in your town. But again, the important thing is that when you hear of a prevention coalition um, advocating for this type of a program or this type of a service from, uh, you know, from an impact standpoint, people that are watching it from a distance have to understand what it is that we're really trying to do. The kids, not necessarily. They want to participate in the activities. They want to be um, engaged. Uh, they want to be, um, at, you know, actively uh, participating in something. Um, sometimes the prevention just happens, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, in a lot of these programs, you know, we have to be cautious about how we implement them. Um, we like to think that you know kids are you know can self-regulate when they're doing these things, but these things do require some level of supervision. Uh, the perfect example that I'll, that I'll offer is the skate park. So the uh, well-intended community might think that adding a skate park to their community is going to be a great solution because so many kids indicated they wanted to do a skate park. But from a prevention coalition standpoint, you have to go beyond that. And you have to think of how could this possibly go wrong um, if a skate park isn't well lit if a skate park is remote, if it's far away from roads, if it's far away from potential police um, patrols and things of that nature, um, you could potentially be creating a problem where there wasn't a problem before. So that's where prevention people have to go a little bit above and beyond what others do. You have to make sure that these well intentions are also well planned and well implemented. While trying to implement these programs across uh, the state, what are some of the obstacles that you most frequently encounter? Funding. Absolutely. Well, funding, but the funding is more a result of a lack of understanding of how these things impact potential drug use. So in the last maybe 15 years or so, we've, we've made a lot of progress in explaining that, you know, drug use is just one potential um, uh, result of an environment that's not very healthy for young people. There's a lot of other bad behavioral health issues that can come about from not having a good support system, not having activities for kids to do, not having kids feel like they're part of the community or feel important to the community. Um, we measure the drug impact, obviously, for our work. But when you hear behavioral health, that's what that's leaning towards, is that there's a lot of issues that can come about from these behaviors. It's good news in that we can do one set of activities and it can have a blanket impact on a lot of negative behavioral health issues. The bad thing is, is again, it's very difficult to get people to stand back far enough to see that. So the funding isn't always there. And when I say funding, I don't just mean um, uh, donors. I don't just mean uh, federal grants, uh, local taxpayers, quite frankly, because that's the, the end all be all of a good program sustainability in New Hampshire communities comes from local support. That's what's needed. And it's difficult to show a taxpayer the impact of this sort of thing if they don't understand what it is that we're doing. If they just see the skate park, they're not going to understand what we're trying to do. So we have to explain it. So if anybody's interested in reaching out to our program, you can do so by sending me an email, uh, richard.d.frost.mil at army.mil anytime. Sergeant Frost, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast.